Section 4 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Channon. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 5, edited by Charles F. Horn, Rosetter Johnson, and John Rudd. Decay of the Frankish Empire, division into modern France, Germany, and Italy, A.D. 843-911. Francois P.G. Guizon. Part 2. After four or five months of tentative measures, or of incidents which taught both parties that they could not, either of them, hope to completely destroy the opponents, the two allied brothers received at Verdun, whither they had repaired to concert their next movement, a messenger from Lothair with peaceful proposals which they were unwilling to reject. The principle was that, with the exception of Italy, Aquitaine and Bavaria, to be secured without dispute to their then possessors. The Frankish Empire should be divided into three portions, that the arbiters elected to preside over the partition should swear to make it as equal as possible, and that Lothair should have his choice with the title of emperor. About mid-June 842, the three brothers met on an island of the Seon, near Chalon, where they began to discuss the questions which divided them. But it was not till more than a year after, in August 843, that assembling all three of them with the umpires at Verdun, they at least came to an agreement about the partition of the Frankish Empire, save the three countries which it had been beforehand agreed to accept. Louis kept all the provinces of Germany, of which he was already in possession, and received besides, on the left bank of the Rhine, the towns Mayence, Verne, and Spire, with the territory appertaining to them. Lothair, for his part, had the eastern belt of Gaul, bounded on one side by the Rhine and the Alps, on the other by the courses of the Mez, the Seine, and the Rhone, starting from the confluence of the two latter rivers, and further the country comprised between the Mez and the Scheldt together with certain countships lying to the west of that river. To Charles fell all the rest of Gaul, Vasconia or Biscay, Septimania, the marshes of Spain beyond the Pyrenees, and the other countries of southern Gaul which had enjoyed hitherto, under the title of the Kingdom of Aquitaine, a special government subordinated to the general government of the empire, but distinct from it, lost this last remnant, of their Gallo-Roman nationality, and became integral portions of Frankish Gaul, which fell by partition to Charles the Bald, and formed one and the same kingdom under one and the same king. Thus fell through and disappeared in 843 by virtue of the Treaty of Verdun, the second of Charlemagne's grand designs, the resuscitation of the Roman Empire by means of the Frankish and Christian masters of Gaul, the name of emperor still retained a certain value in the minds of the people and still remained an object of ambition to princes. But the empire was completely abolished and in its stead sprang up three kingdoms, independent one of another, without any necessary connection or relation. One of the three was thenceforth France. In this great event I comprehended two facts the disappearance of the empire and the formation of the three kingdoms which took its place. The first is easily explained. 
the resuscitation of the roman empire had been a dream of ambition and ignorance on the part of a great man but a barbarian political unity and central absolute power had been the essential characteristics of that empire they became introduced and established through a long succession of ages on the ruins of the splendid roman republic destroyed by its own dissensions under favour of the still great influence of the old roman senate though fallen from its high estate and beneath the guardianship of the roman legions and imperial pra and imperial praetorians not all of these conditions not one of these forces was to be met with in the roman world reigned over by charlemagne the nation of the franks and charlemagne himself were but of yesterday the new emperor had neither ancient senate to hedge at the same time that it obeyed him nor old bodies of troops to support him political unity and absolute power were repugnant alike to the intellectual and the social condition to the national manners and personal sentiments of the victorious barbarians the necessity of placing their conquests beyond the reach of a new swarm of barbarians and the personal ascendancy of charlemagne were the only things which gave this government a momentary gleam of success in the way of unity and of fractious despotism under the name of empire in eight fourteen charlemagne had made territorial security an accomplished fact but the personal power he had exercised disappeared with him the new gallo-frankish community recovered under the mighty and gradual influence of christianity its proper and natural course producing disruption into different local communities and bold struggles for individual liberties either one with another or against whosoever tried to become their master as for the second fact the formation of the three kingdoms which were the issue of the treaty of verdun various explanations have been given of it this distribution of certain peoples of western europe into three distinct and independent groups italians germans and french has been attributed at one time to a diversity of histories and manners at another to geographical causes and to what is called the rule of natural frontiers and oftener still to a spirit of nationality and to differences of language let none of these causes be gainsaid they all exercised some of the influence but they are all incomplete in themselves and far too redolent of theoretical system it is true that germany france and italy began at that time to emerge from the chaos into which they had been plunged by barbaric invasion and the conquests of charlemagne and to form themselves into quite distinct nations but there were in each of the kingdoms of lothair of louis the germanic and of charles the bald populations widely differing in race language manners and geographical affinity and it required many great events and the lapse of many centuries to bring about the degree of national unity they now possess to say nothing touching the agency of individual and independent forces which is always considerable although so many men of intellect ignore it in the present day what would have happened had any one of the three new kings lothair or louis the germanic or charles the bald been a second charlemagne as charlemagne had been a second charles martel who can say that in such a case the three kingdoms would have taken the form they took in eight forty three happily or unhappily it was not so none of charlemagne's successors was capable of exercising on the events of this time by virtue of his brain and his own will any notable influence
Attempts at foreign invasion of France were renewed very often and in many parts of Gallo-Frankish territory during the whole duration of the Calavindian dynasty. And even though they failed, they caused the population of the kingdom to suffer from cruel ravages. Charlemagne, even after his success against the different barbaric invaders, had foreseen the evils which would be inflicted on France by the most formidable and most determined of them, the Northmen, coming by sea and landing on the coast, the most closely contemporaneous and most given to detail of his chroniclers, the monk of St. Gaul, tells the prolix and pompous but evidently heartfelt and sincere terms the tale of the great emperor's far-sightedness. Charles, who was ever astir, says he, arrived by mere hap and unexpectedly in a certain town of Narbonese Gaul. While he was at dinner and was as yet unrecognized of any, some corsairs of the Northmen came to ply their piracies in the very port. When their vessels were described, they were supposed to be Jewish traders according to some, African according to others, and British in the opinion of others. But the gifted monarch, perceiving by the build and lightness of the craft, that they bear not merchandise but foes, said to his own folk, These vessels be not laden with merchandise, but manned with cruel foes. At these words all the Franks, in rivalry with one another, ran to their ships, but uneasily for the Northmen indeed, hearing that yonder was he whom it was still their wont to call the Charles the Hammer, feared the least all their fleet should be taken or destroyed in the port, and they avoided, by a flight of inconceivable rapidity, not only their glaives, but even the eyes of those who were pursuing them pious charles however a prey to well-grounded fear rose up from table stationed himself at a window looking eastward and there remained a long while and his eyes were filled with tears as none durst question him his warlike prince explained to the grandees who were about his person the cause of his movement and of his tears know ye my liege Wherefore I weep so bitterly, of a surety I fear not least these fellows shall succeed in injuring me by their miserable piracies, but it grieveth me deeply that, while I live, they should have been nigh to touching at this shore, and I am to pray to violent sorrow when I foresee that evils they will heap upon my descendants and their people. The forecast and the dejection of Charles were not unreasonable. It will be found that there is special mention made in the chronicles of the ninth and tenth centuries of forty-seven incursions into France and Norwegian, Danish, Swedish and Irish pirates, all comprised under the name of Northmen, and doubtless many other incursions of less gravity have left no trace in history. The Northmen, says Farrell, descended from the north to the south by a sort of natural gradation or ladder the Scheldt was the first river by the mouth of which they penetrated inland the Seine was the second the loire the third the advance was threatening for the countries traversed by the garonne and it was eight forty four that vessels freighted with northmen for the first time ascended this last river to the considerable distance inland and there took immense booty the following year they pillaged and burnt sans in 846 they got as far as Limoges. The inhabitants, finding themselves unable to make head against the dauntless pirates, abandoned their hearths, together with all they had not time to carry away, 
encouraged by these successes the northmen reappeared next year upon the coasts and in the rivers of aquitaine and they attempted to take bordeaux whence they were valorously repulsed by the inhabitants but in eight forty eight having once more laid siege to that city they were admitted into it at night by the jews who were there in great force to plunder and conflagration a portion of the people was scattered abroad and the rest put to the sword the monasteries and churches wherein they hoped to find treasures were the favourite object of the northmen's enterprises in particular they plundered at the gates of paris the abbey of saint germain de prix and that of saint denis whence they carried off the abbot who could not purchase his freedom save by heavy ransom they penetrated more than once into paris itself and subjected many of its quarters to contributions or pillage the populations grew into the habit of suffering and fleeing and the local lords and even the kings made arrangements sometimes with the pirates either for saving the royal domains from the ravages or for having their own share therein in eight fifty pepin king of aquitaine and the brother of charles the bald came to an understanding with the northmen who had ascended the garonne and were threatening toulouse they arrived under his guidance says Farrell. they laid siege to it took it and plundered it not half-wise not hastily as folks who feared to be surprised but leisurely with all security by virtue of a treaty of alliance with one of the kings of the country throughout aquitaine there was but one cry of indignation against pepin and the popularity of charles was increased in proportion to all the horror inspired by the ineffable misdeed of his adversary charles the bald himself if he did not ally himself as pepin did with the invaders took scarce any interest in the fate of the populations and scarcely more trouble to protect them for hincmar archbishop of rheims wrote to him in eight fifty nine many folks say that you are incessantly repeating that it is not for you to mix yourself up with these depredations and robberies and that every one has but to defend himself as best he may in the middle and during the last half of the ninth century a chief of the northmen named hestank or hastings appeared several times over on the coasts and in the rivers of france with numerous vessels and a following he had also with him say the chronicles a young norwegian or danish prince byern called ironsides whom he had educated and who had preferred sharing the fortunes of his governor to living quietly with the king his father after several expeditions into western france hastings became the theme of terrible and very probably fabulous stories he extended his cruises they say to the mediterranean and having arrived at the coasts of tuscany within sight of a city which is in ignorance he took for rome he resolved to pillage it but not feeling strong enough to attack it by assault he sent to the bishop to say he was very ill felt a wish to become a christian and begged to be baptized some days afterward his comrades spread a report that he was dead and claimed for him the honours of a solemn burial the bishop consented the coffin of hastings was carried into the church attended by a large number of his followers without visible weapons but in the middle of the ceremony hastings suddenly leapt up sword in hand from his coffin his followers displayed the weapons they had concealed closed the doors slew the priests pillaged ecclesiastical treasures and re-embarked before the very eyes of the stupefied population 
to go and resume on the coasts of France their incursions and their ravages. Whether they were true or false, these rumours of bold artifices and distant expeditions on the part of Hastings aggravated the dismay inspired by his appearance. He penetrated into the interior of the country, took possession of Chartres, and appeared before Paris, where Charles the Bald, entrenched at Saint-Denis, was deliberating with his prelates and barons as to how he might resist the Northmen or treat with them. The Chronicle says that the barons advised resistance, but the king preferred negotiation and sent the abbot of Saint-Denis, the which was an exceeding wise man, to Hastings, who, after long parley and by reason of large gifts and promises, consented to stop his cruisings, to become a Christian, and to settle in the countship of Chartres, which the kings gave him as an hereditary possession with all of its appetences. According to other accounts, it was only some years later, under the young King Louis III, grandson of Charles the Bald, that Hastings was induced, either by reverses or by payments of money, to cease from his piracies and accept in recompense the countship of Chartres. Whatever may have been the date, he was, it is believed, the first chieftain of the Northmen who renounced a life of adventure and plunder to become, in France, a great landed proprietor and a count of the kings. A greater chieftain of the Northmen than Hastings was soon to follow his example, and found Normandy in France, but before Rolf, that is, Rollo, came and gave the name of his race to a French province. The piratical Northmen were again to attempt a greater blow against France and to suffer a great reverse. In November 885, under the reign of Charles the Fat, after having for more than forty years irregularly ravaged France, they resolved to unite their forces in order at length to obtain a possession of Paris, whose outskirts they had so often pillaged without having been able to enter the heart of the place. Two bodies of troops were set in motion. One, under the command of Rollo, who was already famous among his comrades, marched on Rhone. The other went right up the course of the Seine, under the orders of Siegfried, whom the Northmen called their king. Rollo took Rhone and pushed on at once for Paris. Duke Renault, general of the Gallo-Frankish troops, went to encounter him on the banks of the Eure, and sent to him to sound his intentions, Hastings, the newly made Count of Chartres. Valiant warriors, said Hastings to Rollo, whence come ye? What seek ye here? What is the name of your lord and master? Tell us this, for we be sent unto you by the king of the Franks. We be Danes, answered Rollo, and all the equally masters among us. We be come to drive out the inhabitants of this land and to subject it as our own country. But who art thou, thou who speakest so glibly? Ye have sometime heard tell of one Hastings, who, issuing forth from among you, come hither with much shipping, and made desert a great part of the kingdom of the Franks. Yes, said Rollo, we have heard tell of him. Hastings began well and ended it ill. Will ye yield you to King Charles? asked Hastings. We yield, was the answer, to no one. All that we shall take by our arms we will keep as our right. Go and tell this, if thou wilt, to the king whose envoy thou bestowest to be. Hastings returned to the Gallo-Frankish army, 
and Rollo prepared to march on Paris. Hastings had gone back somewhat troubled in mind. Now there were among the Franks one Count Thibault, who greatly coveted the courtship of Chartres, and he said to Hastings, Why slumberest thou softly? Knowest thou not that King Charles doth purpose thy death by cause of all the Christian blood that thou didst aforetime justly shed? Bethink thee of all the evil thou hast done him, by reason whereof he purposeth to drive thee from his land. Take heed to thyself that thou be not smitten unawares. Hastings dismayed, at once sold to Thibault, the town of Chartres, and removing all that belonged to him, departed to go and resume, for all that appears, his old course of life. On the 25th of November, 885, all the forces of the Northmen formed a junction before Paris. Seven hundred huge barks covered two leagues of the Seine, bringing, it is said, more than thirty thousand men. The chieftains were astonished at sight of the new fortifications of the city, a double wall of circumvallation, and bridges crowned with towers, and in the environs the ramparts of the abbeys of Saint-Denis and Saint-Germain solidly rebuilt. Siegfried hesitated to attack a town so well defended. He demanded to enter alone and have an interview with the bishop, Gosling. Take pity on thyself and thy flock, said he to him. Let us pass through the city. We will in no wise touch the town. We will do our best to preserve for thee, Count Ulder, all your possessions. This city, replied the bishop, hath been confided unto us by the Emperor Charles, king and ruler under God of the powers of the earth. He hath confided it unto us, not that it should cause the ruin, but the salvation of the kingdom. If peradventure these wars had been confided to thy keeping, as they have been to mine, wouldst thou do as thou biddest me? If ever I do so, answered Siegfried, may my head be condemned to fall by the sword and serve as food to the dogs. But if thou yield not to our prayers, so soon as the sun shall commence his course, our armies will launch upon thee their poisoned arrows. And when the sun shall end his course, they will give thee over to all the horrors of famine, and this will they do from year to year. The bishop, however, persisted, without further discussion, being as certain of Count Uda as he was of to himself. Uda, who was young and but recently made Count of Paris, was the eldest son of Robert the Strong, Count of Anjou, of the same line as Charlemagne, and but lately slain in battle against the Northmen. Paris had for defenders two heroes, one of the church and the other of the empire, the faith of the Christian and the fealty of the vassal, the conscientiousness of the priest and the honour of the warrior. The siege lasted thirteen months, whilst pushed vigorously forward with eight several assaults, whilst maintained by close investment, and with all the alternations of success and reverse, all the intermixture of brilliant daring and obscure sufferings that can occur when the assailants are determined and the defenders devoted. Not only a contemporary, but an eyewitness, a bon, a monk of Saint-Germain-de-Prix, has recounted the details in a long poem wherein the writer, devoid of talent, adds nothing to the simple representation of events. It is history itself which gives a Bowles poem a high degree of interest, 
we do not possess in reference to these continual struggles of the northmen with the gallo-frankish populations any other document which is equally precise and complete or which could make us so well acquainted with all the incidents all the phases of this irregular warfare between two peoples one without a government the other without a country the bishop Gauzelin, died during the siege count Uder quitted paris for a time to go and beg aid of the emperor but the parisians soon saw him reappear on the heights of montmartre with three battalions of troops and he re-entered the town spurring on his horse and striking right and left with his battle-axe through the ranks of the dumbfounded besiegers the struggle was prolonged throughout the summer and when in november eight eighty six charles the fat at last appeared before paris with a large army of all nations it was to purchase the retreat of the northmen at the cost of a heavy ransom and by allowing them to go and winter in burgundy whereof the inhabitants obeyed not the emperor some months afterward in eight eighty seven charles the fat was disposed at a diet held on the banks of the rhine by the grandees of germanic france and arnulf a natural son of Carloman, the brother of louis the third was proclaimed emperor in his steed at the same time count Ude, the gallant defender of paris was elected king of compagne and crowned by the archbishop of sans guy duke of spoleto descended from charlemagne in the female line hastened to france and was declared king at langres by the bishop of that town but returned with precipitation to italy seeing no chance to maintaining himself in his french kingship elsewhere bozo duke of Ari, became king of provence and the burgundian count rudolph had set himself crowned at saint maurice in the valais king of transjuan burgundy there was still in france a legitimate calavingian a son of louis the stutterer who was hereafter to become charles the simple but being only a child he had been rejected or completely forgotten and in the interval that was to elapse ere his time should arrive kings were being made in all directions in the midst of this confusion the northmen though they kept at a distance from paris pursued in western france their cruising and plundering in rollo they had a chieftain far superior to his vagabond predecessor though he still led the same life that they had he displayed therein other faculties other inclinations other views in his youth he had made an expedition to england and had there contracted a real friendship with the wise king alfred the great during their campaign in friesland he had taken prisoner rainier count of hanot and alvarade countess of brabant made a request to rollo for her husband's release offering in return to set free twelve captains of the northmen her prisoners and to give up all the gold she possessed rollo took only half the gold and restored to the countess her husband where in eight eighty five he became master of rouen instead of devastating the city after the fashion of his kind he respected the buildings had the walls repaired and humoured the inhabitants in spite of his violent and extortionate practices where he met with obstinate resistance there will be discerned in him symptoms of a more noble sentiments and of an instinctive learning toward order civilization and government after the deposition of charles the fat and during the reign of Ude, a lively struggle was maintained between the frankish king and the chieftain of the northmen who had neither of them forgotten their early encounters they strove one against the other with varied fortunes 
Eudes succeeded in beating the Northmen at Montfaucon, but was beaten in Vermandois by another band, commanded, it is said, by the veteran Hastings, sometime Count of Chartres. Rollo, too, had his share at one time of success, at another of reverse, but he made himself master of several important towns, showed a disposition to treat the quiet populations gently, and made a fresh trip to England, during which he renewed friendly relations with her king, Athelstan, the successor of Alfred the Great. He thus became, from day to day, more reputable, as well as more formidable, in France, insomuch that Udes himself was obliged to have recourse in dealing with him to negotiations and presents when in 898 Udes was dead and Charles the Simple at hardly a 19 years of age had been recognized soul of King of France the ascendancy of Rollo became such that the necessity of treating with him was clear in 911 Charles by the advice of his counselors and among them of Robert brother of the late king Eudes, who had himself become count of paris and duke of france sent to the chieftain of the northman franco archbishop of rouen with orders to offer him the cession of the considerable portion of neustria and the hand of his young daughter giselle under the condition he became a christian and acknowledged himself the king's vassal rollo by the advice of his comrades received these overtures with a good grace and agreed to a truce of three months during which they might treat about peace on the day fixed charles accompanied by duke robert and rollo surrounded by his warriors repaired saint clair sur epte on the opposite banks of the river and exchanged numerous messages charles offered rollo flanders which the northmen refused considering it too swampy as to the maritime portion of neustria he would not be contented with it it was he said covered with forests and had become quite a stranger to the ploughshare by reason of the northmen's incessant incursions he demanded the addition of territories from brittany and that the prince of that province beringer and allen lords respectfully of redon and dal should take the oath of fidelity to him when matters had been arranged on this basis the bishop told rollo that he who received such a gift as the duchy of normandy was bound to kiss the king's foot never quoth rollo will i bend the knee before the knees of any and i will kiss the foot of none at the solicitation of the franks he ordered one of his warriors to kiss the king's foot the northman remaining bolt upright took hold of the king's foot raised it to his mouth and so made the king fall backward which caused great bursts of laughter and much disturbance among the throng then the king and all the grandees who were about him prelates abbots dukes and counts swore in the name of the catholic faith that they would take the patrician rollo in his life his members and his folk and would guarantee to him of the aforesaid land to him and his descendants forever after which the king well satisfied returned to his domains and rollo departed with duke robert for the town of rowan the dignity of charles the simple had no reason to be well satisfied but the great political question which a century before caused charlemagne much lively anxiety was solved the most dangerous the most incessantly renewed of all foreign invasions those of the northmen ceased to threaten france the vagabond pirates had a country to cultivate and defend the northmen were becoming french
End of section 4. Recorded by Michael Channing.